Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. Ten powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person, my dad. My dad was the greatest encourager that I ever knew, and I want to tell you about him in this book, the things that my dad taught me, stories about his life, stories from my own life, and other relative connecting principles. You can go to Amazon.com and get it in paperback or Kindle. And now, here's another great episode of the Intentional Encourager podcast coming right now. Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now, here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And when I, listen, I continue to just be absolutely blown away by the people who choose intentionally to come on this podcast. We don't pay anybody. We don't have the the highbrow budget to pay these wonderful people. I wish we could, but this lady is a, she is a dynamo. Her husband, Joe Peachy, has been on an earlier episode of the Intentional Encourager podcast. But Joe told me this. He said, I will come on, but you have to have Dawn on. So Dawn Peachy is joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And I know Joe's episode was going to be good, but this one's going to be better. And you can tell Joe that I said that. Dawn <laughs> Peachy, welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Oh, Brian, it's so great to be here and to be, you honor me by allowing me to pour into your listeners. I'm just excited. It, you know, it's funny because I only met you when you came to do the podcast for on our podcast and we just spoke for a couple of minutes and I got, you know, Joe and I just immediately connected with you, immediately connected with you. You're just, like I was telling you, you're just a very sincere, transparent person no hidden agendas, and that's so refreshing. Well, let's let's go there for just a second, and and I'm I'm incredibly humbled and honored that that you would say that about me. I, I just I'm dumbfounded the nice things that people say about me because I I don't think of myself in those in those mm -hmm. ways. But let's go there for a second. You meet people and you connect with people all over the world in your business, peachy and peachy, mm -hmm. that have gifts and abilities and talents they just need help getting them to the next level or getting them to where they are heightened emphasized things like that what is it th about what you do that gives that that encourages you about people because again when you do what you do and you see those things in other people you, what encourages you, though, to continue to pour into other people? You know, that's a really great question. And the hook, okay, the hook for both Joe and I is the fact that we teach skills that we can help anybody, regardless of where they are in their progress, if they're brand new into business or sales, if they've been in for a long time we impart skills and we watch the light come on in people's eyes that 
oh my goodness, I can do this. You know, that, that confidence that comes through skill-based training. And I think that's the strength of what we do is that it doesn't matter. You know, I, I'll tell you this story. Uh, when we first, the first corporate training we did, because we had been in uh, direct sales. And when we made the shift and did some corporate training, when we first got into this, I'll never forget that we, uh, Joe got me in to do some communications training for a company, for a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got done, I upsold Joe into the program because I could see where their weakness was. And their weakness was they weren't, they were good order takers, but they weren't great order makers. See, I see where Joe gets this. He, he says to me, he said, Don is the brains of this operation. <laughs> I get it now. This I I absolutely get it now. Thank you. <laughs> You're a hundred percent the brains of this operation. But but you know again. So so how did you have that insight, Don, to be able to see that that's what? Because I think a lot of what happens to people a lot of times is that we don't have the insight or the foresight to see what is easily seen. If that makes sense. Because a lot of times we kind of go, I don't know if they'll accept it or take it. But you had the insight and and just the the intuitiveness to go, this is what you need. And you were able to easily transition that. It's about being others focused. I will say that when I walked into that first corporate training, I was nervous because I thought, I hope I have something intelligent to say. You know, these were these were what I would call professional salespeople. You know, when you're Don, now you know how it feels to have the Intentional Encourager podcast. I, I always hope every episode I have something intelligent to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was, you know, I was really nervous. I had prepared, but you know, I didn't know what I was going to be facing. And but as I get into the training, in order to be effective, I've got to be others focused. I've got to be looking at what are they grasping? What aren't they grasping? Why aren't they grasping it? How can I, because I, you know, I do a lot of this on the fly is the fact that, okay, here's my, here's what I'm going to be training, but I don't want to just disseminate information. Yeah. Teaching is different. Teaching is helping people actually improve while you're there. And so I think it came from being others focused that I realized these people were terrified of the phone. So what I did was, is I talked to the owner about bringing Joe in. And it was interesting because he came in and he did some training to prepare everybody, you know, for the training. I guess I think we did two days of preparation. And then it was day three when we were going to be making live outbound calls. Yeah. There was a gal there named Kathy and I'll never forget her because she walked in and she was terrified. If she didn't need the money for that job, she wouldn't have shown up. I'm telling you, she had tears in her eyes and I watched my husband walk over to her and take her by the hands. And he said, Kathy, you're going to be fine. He says, because I'm good at this and I'm not going to let you fail. Yeah. Yeah. After that, that day, first of all, she got the most appointments of anyone. 
They were looking to get into this big corporation. They've been trying to get into this corporation for eight years. She's the one who got into it and got the account. And half a year later, she was head of their outbound uh, telephone uh, call center. You know, Dawn, that is so powerful. And, and, and here's what I'm thinking in that moment, okay? I, I'm putting myself in that moment. People are are afraid to do things because the 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 worst case scenario always pops into the into someone's head mm. because you think about it i i like to ride roller coasters <laughs> i i wrote last year last year in in the spring of 2019 i went on my son's senior trip they needed an extra chaperone and we went to cedar point in sandusky ohio about five and a half hours from here that has some of the world's best roller coasters. Okay. And I thought to myself, hey, you know, my, my son said, Dad, we're going to ride. I said, yeah, we're going to ride some roller coasters. Absolutely. I wanted to do that with my son. You know, and, and they strap you in and keep you safe for a reason because they want you to enjoy all the, the thrills and palpitations and things like that. But what you don't see is all the precautions that were taken to make sure that every ride is 100% safe. And that's what I saw Joe do in that moment as you were describing it, Dawn, is Joe was taking all the precautions with Kathy to make sure that she was 100% safe in setting those appointments. How important is it to put people in the mindset that they can be safe when they're doing their job so that they can do it to the most robust effectiveness that they can? It's paramount. You know, there's a study that was done about children and how they, how they progress in school. And there's two modes that you can be in in life. You can be in survival mode or you can be in thriving mode. mode. Children who are in survival mode, that there's problems at home, whatever's going on, it doesn't matter how hard they try to do well in school, they are not operating at the maximum that their brain can do, all right? They, the brain can't deal with stress. And the more stress you have, the lower your productivity, okay? The less stress, the greater your productivity. So managers who put undue stress on their employees or what have you, who's ever underneath them, they're not going to get what they need from that group. Not nearly is if people are not afraid to make a mistake. We all make mistakes. You can't be afraid to make a mistake. And if you're constantly second guessing yourself and doubting yourself and putting all this uh, external pressure on yourself, um, you're not going to be, you're just not going to be productive. And especially in the training room, you know, when we bring people into a training room, again, in our sales boot camp, we only take 20 people. So we keep it small, but these people are coming, they're in different industries from different parts of the country. They don't, you know, they don't know each other. So breaking down some of those walls and getting people to be comfortable in the training room so that by day three, they are, yeah, they're, they're nervous. Okay. They're nervous. Right. But 
Joe's making calls too. Joe makes out his our outbound calls while everybody else is making theirs too, so they can they see what he's doing. You know, and he's there to coach them. You know, they get off of a call. Okay, well, well let's talk about it. What happened here? What happened there? And we cheer each other on with our successes. And we we give attaboys for, hey, you'll get it next time for the ones yeah. that didn't turn out the way we wanted to. And Don, I love what you just said there. It's about breaking down walls. Mm. Because no matter if we're talking about training or we're talking about someone who wants to take their business from point A to point B, and, and heaven knows that there have been a lot of people this year that have just had to survive instead of that thriving mode that you talked about, that survival, thriving or survival mode that you talked about a moment ago. And I think it's important to break down walls. What have you found that has been the most effective for you when you coach somebody and you, you see that person? Your instincts tell you, okay, I sense this is going on. What has been most effective for you in helping people break down those walls? You know, I think it's transparency, being able to not be the person who's perfect standing up in front of them trying to teach them something. You know, when I... Park there for just a minute, and, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but that is so – what you just said is so powerful because I think people go into training sessions and they think, my company is paying for this, so I should have to, I should have to do this, 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 and this. And there's an expectation when someone comes into a training session, they put a lot of internal pressure on themselves to get – multiple or absorb as much information as they can because after all their company sent them to this training and there's the expectation i love what you just said there please take that a little bit deeper if you would because i think there are some people that that it's starting to resonate with them and go yeah i've been there i know exactly what don's talking about you know well there's, you know, you were talking about the pressure for the person sitting in the training. There's a lot of pressure on the trainers. No question. <laughs> I have done trainings. Yes, there, yeah, there. Because the, the yeah. first five minutes that you're in, and I didn't mean to, to, to jump in there, the first five minutes that you're in training as a trainer, you're surveying the room too. You're, you're surveying the room to say, okay, what are people going to be engaged you're trying to break the ice if you're like me trying to put intelligent sentences together you know things like that you know make sure your your clothes look nice did i put deodorant on this morning did i brush my <laughs> teeth you know things like that but you're 100 percent right don the pressure is also on those giving the training so so what have you found that's been most effective in 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 breaking those walls down to make to bring everybody to a level playing field, trainers and those participating in the training. Well, I think there's a lot of power in in the fact that Joe and I don't teach from theory. We teach because we do it every day. For instance, I have LinkedIn training. Okay, so I train people on LinkedIn. Now, grandmothers 
who homeschooled grandchildren are not usually the people you think of first. Listen, there's a backstory behind that, folks, because as Dawn and I were getting this set up, I, we were we were bouncing some dates back and forth, and she said, "Well, I'm not homeschooling my grandchildren this week." So I, I, my I had mad respect for that because I I think that is absolutely fantastic. But yeah, there when she said that, I was like, "There's the backstory there that I have." <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that I have to be able to. I'm able to say, like Joe is able to say, I'm able to say, when we first got into sales, we were terrible. <laughs> and we really were. I mean, I watched Joe make something like 51 phone calls in one night, was turned down by everybody. And he, this is when you still had a regular telephone attached to the wall. And he took it and he took the receiver and he smashed it on top of the countertop in the kitchen. He was so frustrated. Um, well, and that's competitiveness because we'll get in, and, and those of you that heard Joe's podcast know that Joe was a football coach for many, many years. And that competitiveness comes out where people just say, I'm, I'm used to winning. I'm used to competing and, and, and competing at a high level. And it is frustrating. I listen, I had a, a job many years ago where I had to call high school students that inquired to the university that I was, that I worked for. And we had to convert those leads into in-home appointments. And so I, I understand the frustration of, of making 50 phone calls in a, in a day and setting two appointments. You, you, you learn to power through that. I think the thing that, that is important, Don, about what you said too, is understanding that and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, obviously, but, but what I heard from what you said there was it's understanding that obstacles are temporary and not permanent. And oh, that is so well stated. Yeah. That and is really well stated. Let me give you, let me give you a story. I have those moments of, I, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's the hot tea combination that I have here. I, I you know, I, I, I think it's, it just, it just happens. I can't. Let me give you a story to illustrate this because the backstory of my life is that I sang opera, okay? That's what most people don't know about me. Uh, it's like 100 million years ago and taught at the college level and all Yeah, you have, a, you have a West Virginia connection too because you have a connection to my state where you, you actually did some, some singing in the Wheeling, West Virginia. Area yeah, how hours. did you know that? Your husband told me that. Okay. Yeah, I about was out three. There. Yeah, but yeah, Wheeling's about three, about three hours to the north of us. It's in the oh, West Virginia hand. Yeah, it's in the West Virginia Panhandle. You have Ohio, West Virginia. Not to get sidetracked, but where I live, I live in a tri-state area, okay. and I live in southwestern West Virginia. So we have Ohio and Kentucky that border Kentucky. us. And in Wheeling, they have Ohio and Pennsylvania. So you literally can drive from St. Clairsville, Ohio to Washington, Pennsylvania, and it's about a 30-minute drive, 30, 35 minutes across I-70, and you can come through Wheeling, West Virginia, on and get to, to Washington. I've done that more times than I can count. So, yes, Don, you have a, a connection to wild, wonderful West Virginia where we're recording. Yes. All right. Well, here's what happened. And this was, I think, you know, you were talking about, you mentioned that you were people are, are competitive because they're used to winning. Mm -hmm. 
if winning is the only reason why you compete, you won't compete. Wow. Say that, say that again, please. Say winning that again. Is, if winning is the only reason that you're competing, eventually you're going to lose. I mean, nobody wins 100% of the time and you'll eventually quit. If you if it's only about winning. And but if it's if it's about challenging yourself, if it's about being the best you can be and injecting that whatever it is that you have into somebody else to help them to be the best they can be that's that's where it comes and let me, i'll give you the story i was singing um at uh at, inter, at national and international competitions and i was at the baltimore opera auditions which is a big competition at the time and they had a five thousand dollar prize i'll give you an example this was years and years ago when five thousand dollars was still worth five thousand dollars and um i went and i i, I sang there and it, everybody was in. The big boys were down from New York. I was up against, you know, people who've been paid professionally for years. I mean, it, it was it was tough competition. Mm -hmm. I did okay, but I didn't do great. Okay, I know, I, you know, I got done singing. I thought oh, I should have done this instead of that. And blah 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 blah. But I was going to stick around to get the um, to get the, the judge was Rosa Poncel, and she was going to talk to the to the people who were participated and give them little words of wisdom, what have you. And Rosa Poncel was a big deal, yeah. right? but she was elderly at that time. So I'm waiting, you know, backstage and there's about oh, maybe 19, 20 of us that are standing around. And these are people I knew from singing at other competitions. Okay. So I kind of, we kind of know each other, you know, you're mm -hmm. on the circuit. That's a very small world too. I mean, there's not too many yeah. people that that do that at that yeah. level. And, and it would be obvious that that you guys would see each other at, at, at different things. Right. So in walks Rosa Poncel and she sees me, her eyes lock on me <laughs> and she goes, you! And everybody parted like the Red Sea. And it was just me and Rosa and Rosa and me. And I, I was really excited. What is she going to say? And she said, you, your high notes are awful, simply awful. <laughs> I was like, I'm thinking, and there's all my peers around me. Don, I got to share something with you. Wait, and, let and me I, finish Yeah, go, go, go ahead. Yes, please. So it was about, Five months later, six months later, I'm listening to uh, Saturday afternoon at the Met on the radio, and they make the announcement that Rosa Poncel died. And all I could think of was, did God punish her for saying that to me? Or was my singing so awful that I killed the poor woman? I'm not sure. <laughs> that is great. I tell I, you, well, I tell you this. So you wouldn't tell by listening to me talk, but for about eight and a half years, I sang the the first tenor part in a Southern yes. Gospel quartet. You told me that, and yeah. and there were many nights where my high notes were awful. So don't feel bad. <laughs> there were a lot of nights that we sang that my high my I could tell when my wife was sitting in the congregation and she'd look at me like, "Why did you just try that?" <laughs> and so recently, so we we as we're recording this, so we we. We recently, uh, about two and a half, about, yeah, about well, about three years ago now, we had a change in our group, and and I dropped down to sing the baritone, which is a more natural 
part in a quartet. And we actually have a guy that's uh, almost 70 years old, and he has a naturally high voice. I mean, it's just incredible. And uh, But he couldn't be there, and we had to practice our songs. And so my son filled in and sang my part as we were practicing, and I thought, well, my voice is doing good. My, my voice has actually come back a little bit. I thought, I'm going to go sing that tenor part. And I had to sing some of those high notes, and my high notes were awful. <laughs> so it was almost like Rosa Ponzel was channeling through me and going, Brian, your high notes are awful. Well, now you'll know. When that, that thought comes through your head, you'll know where it's coming from. It is from. so hard. Listen, it is so hard for a guy to consistently sing like a woman. Oh, it is. It's not natural. But here's, here's what I learned, though. Because I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. And I worked very, very hard on, I, I changed my repertoire that year. I worked extremely hard on the upper part of my range. I had the discipline to do this every day and be able to take, yes, it wasn't the kindest way she could have said it, but to be able to take that information and not walk off in a huff, but simply go, okay, what can I do? What can I do to make this better? What can I do? How can I become the best I can be? And I worked extremely hard that year, went to the Metropolitan Opera auditions and came in second. Wow. Let, let, me, let me park on that for just a minute. There, there is some life lesson for someone there. As a singer, as a singer, our voices as we age naturally drop. Yes. And what I love what you said there. You said, I started working on the upper part of my range. That's hard for a singer to do is to consistently work the upper part of the range because our voices naturally, when we, we, we want to go down mm -hmm. instead of going up, I remember when I started singing that part, I was constantly working on my upper range because um, it, it's just so hard. There is a life lesson there for people to understand that you have to work the things that are hardest in your life. Because to your point about what Rosa, Rosa Sincel is, was that her? Poncel. Poncel, thank you. I had a, I had a, you know, I just left my brain. But what Rosa Poncel told you, she said your high notes were awful. You did the best you could, but it became motivation for you to go, okay, well, I'm going to work those high parts, those high notes, the upper range of notes. When you think about it from a business and a sales and a training standpoint, what it, what's hardest for people to really work on in themselves that you guys have found that's universal what 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 universally is the hardest thing for people to work on in business that you've run across in your career i think when people I, I think it depends on what stage you're at all right when people first step into being an entrepreneur they decide they're going to go into business i think the hardest thing for them to understand is is the entrepreneurial mindset that the buck stops here. And if I want a lot of bucks to stop here, <laughs> I'm 
I'm responsible. And Joe has a plaque on his, on his desk that says I'm responsible. And I think, you know, I could have, you know, I could have blamed Rosa Poncel. I could have, there's lots of different things I could have done in that situation, mm -hmm. but I took responsibility. And I think like, for instance, Christmas morning, Joe and I put down five modules for the new training course that we're coming out with, the e-course we're coming out with. Hmm. I don't think a lot of people <laughs> want to work on Christmas morning, but we had to make hay when the sun shines. You know, when we have the time, we've yeah. got to do it. And I think understanding that you get to pick the 20 hours a day you work, mm -hmm. right? When you start off, it's all you and you know, you've got to make the most of every minute. I think that's, I think that's an issue that, that mindset of this is my responsibility. I think a yeah. second thing is that, that you can, that you can do it. I think a lot of people, I see people look at the game, you know, as they, as they start to get along in business and they realize how much they don't know. There was a guy who came into our, uh, for a private sales coaching with Joe um, from, I think it was Kansas City, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And he was an engineer mm -hmm. and he had worked for an engineering firm and he wanted to have his own firm. And he was talking to my husband on the phone about this. And my husband said, well, what do you know about sales? And he said, well, I don't know anything, but I'm the best engineer in, you know, in his area. And my husband said, well, that's great. But if you don't know anything about sales, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And I think, so you have to look at the whole game because you can be very good at what you do. You can, you know, you can be the best plumber, the best, whatever. Yeah. But unless when, once you look at the whole game and you see all the different things that you don't know, I think people tend to pull back because they think that they can't learn those things. Well, Donnie, I, I want to go back to what you said just a minute ago, and it was brilliant. Okay. Understanding the stage you're on, mm -hmm. because you were talking about being in that moment with Rosa Poncel. You were at the Baltimore National Opera. That wasn't the stage you ultimately wanted to be on. You wanted to move your career further because you mentioned being on the circuit and being around other people. That wasn't the end game for most people because you also mentioned that you listened to the Met, the Saturday at the Met. And for most opera singers, making it to the Met is the stage that they want to be on, correct? True. So how do you flip that mindset to understand to get to the stage that you want to be at instead of, under, instead of being content with the stage you're on? You know, I think this, I think you have to be humble enough to realize what you don't know and confident enough to realize you can learn it. I think there's a comfort zone we can get into. And like, for instance, this past year, all right, you were talking about what Joe and I've done the past year. We've been doing sales training in person for 30 years. Okay. And yes, do we sell on the phone? Yes, which is a virtual method. But we train in person. Mm -hmm. And when 
when the bottom fell out and you couldn't go anywhere and we lost, you know, all this income, I was out looking for places to get Joe on podcasts, looking for podcast hosts. And in the process, I came across a podcast and they were talking about their membership site. And I'm thinking about membership site. What's a membership site? Yeah. And uh, started, went and joined their membership site to just to find out what a membership site was. When I saw what they were doing, these young guys, young guys, you know, I mean, they were giving out great information, but they didn't have, they don't have the, the 30 years of experience we have, you know. And I, I said to Joe, I said, this is where it's at. I said, this membership site thing is, is something we need to do. So, yeah. and I think the fact that to, to take back to the point of, it's not about winning. It's about being the best you can be. Yeah. And we, I, we looked at a lot of our clients and our clients needed our coaching so much. So many people were struggling, you know, over the summer and all this and how could we help our clients mm -hmm. when, yes, Joe does one-on-one -on -one coaching, but it's pricey, okay? Mm -hmm. So how, how can we help a larger group of people? And with a membership site, we could do group training, group coaching at a very minimal cost to people. Yeah. And, but I had to, <laughs> but it's a, it's a steep mountain to climb. I mean, I don't, I didn't know anything about a membership site. So it was me spending 10, 12 hours a day listening to podcasts, looking at webinars, getting books, reading this, doing that, becoming the person that could launch something like this. Yeah. And, and so I think it's that being humble enough to realize that there are other things I need to know here, not to get so stuck in where I'm at, but also having the confidence and the faith that you can do it. If somebody else can do this, more than likely you can do it. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. You know, it's, you know, it's, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's no, funny I... because a part of your story is you were the wife of a football coach. For, for many, many years. And, and to some degree, that life is regimented. It is, you know, every three or four years where, you know, you know, every two to three or four years, you're going to move somewhere. 
We moved 11 times in 20 years. 11 times in 20 years, yeah. But then, and, and I want to fast forward. I don't want to blow. Well, let, let, let's let's take a little time. Let, let's take a little bit of time. I, I want you to tell your side of the story. I had Joe on to tell his side about, um, and Joe talked about finding out he lost his job reading the newspaper. But I want you to take take me back through your story a little bit, and let's take the time to uncover that because I think there's a lot of things that you learned, and you mentioned your time singing opera and things like that, that, that the things that you've gone through in your life, Don, has led you to, to a lot of the things that you've done now. And, and you mentioned experience, and you've called on that experience, and it's so evident because you have a reservoir of experience that you call on. So take me back as far back as you want to go in your story, and let's let's go a little bit further. On your side of the story, we've already heard Joe's. We know Joe's. Let's hear Don's side of the story. Because Joe said, he said, you've got to tell Don's side of the story. So I want to be intentional in telling your side of the story. Well, there's two aspects of this. Okay. I'll talk about the first one, and I'll say, uh, and I, I will talk about the second but let me talk about the first one. You want to know what it's like to be the wife of a football coach. <laughs> Basically, that's what you're asking. Wife of a football coach. I always told my husband I could be married to a baseball coach. I could have twice the income and neither one of you would ever know that I was married to another man. <laughs> because, <laughs> because when you're home and when you're not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Basically, you know, it started August 1st. The year started August 1st, and Joe would come in. He's like, I can't believe it's football season again. And I'd be like, I can't believe it's football <laughs> season again. And, yes. and, uh, and my wife said the same thing about basketball season. I wasn't coaching, right. but but I would do I would do public address, and every year when it when it would roll around, my wife would be like, I can't believe it's basketball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Thanksgiving would come. I would, you know, it was like Thanksgiving breakfast. Many times we had Thanksgiving breakfast yeah. because he had to get on the road to re go recruiting. Mm -hmm. So if I wouldn't have Thanksgiving dinner, I was up at five o'clock in the morning putting in the turkey so that we could have dinner by 10 o'clock in the morning so that he could get on the road before noon. So it was Thanksgiving breakfast, not Thanksgiving yeah. dinner. Um, turkey Christmas, and eggs, right? Pardon? Tur turkey and eggs, right? <laughs> turkey and eggs. <laughs> Something like that. Very yeah. close to that. So it was, I think the hardest, the easiest thing about being a football coach's wife is I watched what my husband did with the boys and how many kids he rescued. I, I think about Fred Banks and Fred Banks ended up playing for the Miami Dolphins. Fred was um, uh, was going to Shawan Junior College, and Joe saw him on film. He was fast. Uh, he was a receiver, and uh, but when he when Joe went to visit him, he was in a cast. Okay, he had had an injury during the year in, a, in his leg, and he was in a cast. It's and amazing, so Don. I, I got to jump in here. It's amazing ahead. that in, in the recruiting process that an injury 
be, before an injury, everybody shows up at your door. Everybody wants you. Everybody wants you to come play for a good old state U or wherever it is. After an injury, it's like you've got the plague or you've got COVID. And nobody wants to come around. So I love what you said. I just, I had to jump in there because. Yeah, no, you're right. You are absolutely right. So. It's taking a chance on those kids. Like you said, it's, 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 it's giving that. It's still extending a chance to a kid that's had an unfortunate situation and trusting your gut and believing that that kid that, that, that you saw on film before they got injured is going to be the same or better kid afterwards. Well, with Fred, he was from a very, very impoverished situation. He didn't have parents. He lived with his grandmother. Um, and he had no eligibility left uh, at Shawan because of his injury. And Joe goes to, he goes back to the, you know, the coaches meet on these, with these recruiting meetings. And Joe has to sell his heart out. <laughs> I guess we should have known back then. Yeah. But he had to sell his heart out to get to get the other coaches to take a chance. And, you know, because you're giving a whole scholarship to a kid and you have no idea he needed, he needed surgery. You have no idea if this kid's going to come off of it. And uh, Fred, of course, the, the good side of the story is Fred came back and ended up playing for the Miami Dolphins and it changed his life. And so it was so easy, you know, when Fred came to us, you know, and Kelvin and different ones, I had to tutor them. I, had to, I was their, I was their tutor so that they could pass entrance exams and things. You like started that. homeschooling kids way before your grandkids, right? <laughs> way before kids. I mean, <laughs> we, so that was, it was very fulfilling. It was, you know, my husband was doing a job that had a purpose and had a purpose beyond winning and losing. Again, you know, if it's just about winning and losing, you're not going to stick with it. But so that was the wonderful part. The challenging part was the fact that they, there was so much disloyalty. You know, there's no, yeah. um, you work your guts out. You know, Joe was putting in, you know, 100, 100 hours a week easily. Mm -hmm. Um and no family time, no, you know, just always, you know, working, you know, and, and then, you know, you get fired and you get fired, not because you're losing, but because they want a new football field. You John, know? let me ask you something, because I'm thinking about an entrepreneur that could be listening to this conversation, a small business owner, gotcha. a salesperson that's listening to this conversation and they're working their guts out. And they're doing what Joe did, working 100 hours a week. How do you support your spouse doing that? And, and what are some things you had to be intentional in doing to help him understand his value at home? Because the value of the career is I'm putting 100 out of 168 hours a week into this professionally to climb the ladder, to get to where I want to be. And, and I'm, I'm making the sacrifices at home. How do you support that person and help them keep their value at home as well? You know, I think. Because you did it for a lot of years and you're the perfect person to ask that question. Yeah. I think it comes down to. 
it comes down to your relationship as a couple and as a wife uh, or a husband, because sometimes it's the wife that is the entrepreneur and the husband supporting her. I mean, we have a lot of, of you know, I don't want to keep this gender specific. Right. Here. No question. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for that, by the way, too. But I think that are you committed to your spouse? I think, are we only committed when our needs are being taken care of? Or are we also committed to taking care of the needs of the other? I think I believed in my husband's vision. I believed in what he, I believed in him as a coach, number one, his skill set as a coach, but I also believed in his, why he coached. He was coaching because he wanted to help young men. He wanted to help these kids. You know, Joe started off on a, you know, a Pop Warner type of situation. I mean, where he wasn't getting paid at all, but I always, and he put in a lot of hours there, but I always knew what his dream was. And I think when, as a spouse, you know, as, as a spouse, I have to be sure, you know, for a husband and wife to be able to work effectively together because Joe and I of course also work together in the yes. same business. People always ask us how do you do that? But when we're committed to each other, then we're going to ride out the different seasons of life. And starting as an entrepreneur, you put in a lot of hours. And I think I watch a lot of situations where you have one spouse that's, that's an entrepreneur and putting in all these hours and the other one is like not involved. I always tried to stay involved. I think that was another aspect is that we were involved with each other's careers kind of thing where, you know, I was helping those kids pass entrance exams so they could get into college. I was, yeah. I was there at the football games when I could be, I was there, you know, our home was open to the kids you know, I was, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times when Joe and I had almost no groceries in the house because he wasn't getting paid very much and kids would come over from the projects that he was coaching and it was like, okay, I'm pulling everything out of the cabinets to try to feed these kids because I know they're not getting fed at home, you know, and it's that kind of commitment to, it becomes, it becomes a, it becomes both person's dream. It becomes both persons goal even though they have different roles yeah and I think that's with Joe and I working together there are things that he's better at he's better at sales than I am you know so there's things that he's Boy, I don't at. know about that I don't <laughs> know about that at all you you have been you have been better than advertised and and, and like I said Joe told me he said you got to have Dawn on I'm like this is incredible because you do, you have a reservoir of information of, of just knowledge. And I love what you said there. And I had to jump in because what okay. you said there was so good. You said it's about staying involved mm -hmm. in, yeah. in, in that other person, because a lot of times spouses will say, well, that's your business or that's your dream or that's your thing. And, and a lot of times there's that separation that happens. And, and, and I think this, and I've seen this happen, Don. 
I think separation at times creates resentment because what happens is, is when the business starts to get more, more intense, then the one spouse says, well, your business is taking time away from our family and your dream is costing our family. And we're not seeing that. And, and I loved what you said about staying involved. I've got to go here for just a quick minute. Sure. You guys know that Joe's coaching career is pretty well coming to an end. And you guys decide to start a business together. Were you scared? Were you nervous? What what was what were the thoughts? Because you go from coach's wife, you know the routine, you've lived the routine for 20 plus years, you you know what you're getting into. As you just said a moment ago, I knew August 1st here was the here was the routine. Yeah. You now start a business together and you're totally flipping the script. Take me through and walk me through that that period of time and, and what that was like for you. You know, the catalyst to drive us into business was the fact that we had over, uh, over $250,000 in medical debt and we were going to pay it back. All right. So Joe was making $21,000 a year as a coach. I was earning maybe mm, $5,000 a year giving voice and piano lessons from home. I mean, we were not making much money. You just, you don't catch up. Okay. You don't catch up with, with medical debt like that. No, so you we, don't. we had to do something. So it was kind of like, you know, there was a gun to our head, you know, to, you know, you know, the, the creditors were calling, we had to do something. But I remember seeing this presentation for this direct sales company and, oh, you can make this much money and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it, okay, it looks good. You know, I mean, we can talk, you know, maybe we can do something like this. And you, you, you know, you sign on the dotted line and you get home and you think I must've been a crazy person. I don't know anything about sales. What are we doing? We're nut jobs. We're absolutely nut jobs. So, um, yeah. And, but Joe said an interesting thing to me. He said, Dawn, he said, I know you know how to work and I know I know how to work. And between the two of us, we can make this work. Wow. And, but we knew nothing. We did everything wrong. Um, we knew nothing. But seven years later, we had paid off all that, all of that medical debt. All right. And we were able to put our children in private schools. And we were, you know, we had, it had, it made, we made it work. Um, but again, huge commitment, but, it, but we were used to commitment. You know, we were used to, we understood you have to pay a price. If you want what they have, you got to do what they did. And I think too much today, everybody wants the shortcut. I want to make that one video that goes viral and I'm a millionaire, you know, well, you, you know, you start at zero and you start building and you build and you build and you build and you have the faith to stick with it. And I think that's another thing that people don't realize. People would jump in, you know, they'll jump into anything and then they quit. You well, know, they Here's, here's a months. name you'll recognize. You'll yeah. recognize this name when I say it. Nick Saban. Mm -hmm. Head football coach at the University of Alabama. Nick Saban grew up about three and a half hours from here in Monongah, West Virginia, 
in Marion County. That's not a desirable area of, of the country to be from, Monongah, West Virginia. And people look at him, they look at Jimbo Fisher that came from, from this state, um, the head coach where I go to where I went to school, Doc Holliday's from Hurricane, just up the road a little bit. And they see these guys and they say, Well, man, I want to be, I'm gonna get into coaching and and in five years I'm gonna be the head, I'm gonna be the head football coach at name your school. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. And and it's in and Dave Ramsey said something that I love what you just said there. Dave Ramsey said it took me 20 years to be an overnight success. <laughs> yeah. And, and you were talking about commitment and paying the price. Take me through the biggest obstacle that you and Joe faced in your business, getting it to where it is, and what was the lesson you learned from? I think the biggest obstacle was the fact we had never worked together. He had his career and I had my career. And yes, I was involved, but I didn't, I wasn't out on the football field coaching the kids. Okay. And we're both very strong personalities. So he would get an idea. I'd have an idea. They wouldn't be the same idea. So learning, learning, discovering what his strengths were and discovering what my strengths were and working within our strength areas and working together on those areas that we might need to improve upon that we had no idea about, you know. I mean, Joe and I, nobody could balance the checkbook before we got into business. I mean, we literally we never <laughs> were able to balance the checkbook. <laughs> in fact, now I, I take that back. There were three times I balanced the checkbook and each time we went over drafted. So I must have been wrong. Hey, Dawn. <laughs> Don, I'll tell you this. It's funny you mentioned that. My wife and I uh, will celebrate 25 years of marriage next October. Praise so God. October, yes. Praise God, she's still here. But um, my wife told me very early in our relationship, we knew we were going to get married, but even for, before we got engaged, I'll never forget, we had a conversation in her driveway where she lived. Um, her parents' home is just literally a minute and a half down the road from where I am. And she said to me, she said, if we're going to get married and we're going to be together, you got to give me your checkbook because I had a bunch of debt. And my wife worked on getting my financial house in order so that we could come together. And that was a seminal moment for me because I wanted to be the guy in control. Mm. I was off traveling and working and things like that. So when you said that, it's about what, what is the, what's the ultimate purpose, right? What's the ultimate purpose? Is it? I want to be in control or is it we're, we're trying to get to a goal here mm-hmm. and we're trying to do that. I, I've got one. We could, we could talk for hours because I, I Joe was right. I, I could talk to you for hours and, you know, and I probably would rather talk to you than him. So, I mean, you, you can tell him I said that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I want you to leave the folks because again, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Right. I want you to leave the folks with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement because in in the 49 years that you and Joe have been married to each other, you've told us about some of the storms you guys have walked through and and staying together. And I know there's somebody listening to this conversation today that will go, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I've had those moments. I can relate to that. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement? Okay. I want to tell you a story. 
story starts the week before Christmas in 1983, where the doctor told me I was going to die. Now, I didn't die, so this has a happy ending. Well, obviously, you <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I want to explain, because I think this is so important right now. I had been sick for years at this point. I'd been a sickly child, grew up to be a sickly adult, went to all kinds of doctors. People couldn't pinpoint it really, but eventually I was facing kidney and liver failure. Okay. And Joe took me, you know, we went to different doctors and I'll never forget the time we went to this doctor and the doctor literally said to my husband, unfortunately, this doctor is on a really wide desk. And my husband's not very tall, which was saved the doctor's life because this doctor right in front of me said, there's nothing we can do for her. You just need to let her go and die. And with that, my husband, like a rocket, launching across the desk at this guy to go at his throat. And he just, the desk was too wide for him to get to the guy. Joe was so upset. Um, and so anyway, we'd gone to lots of doctors and I got to the point where I couldn't get out of bed. Joe would come in the morning and he'd pick me up and he'd put me in the living room in a chair so I could sit up for a while. And uh, then, you know, I remember the time that Joe washed my hair and, and had to blow dry it for me because I, I couldn't lift my arms. And that's when we found out he should never become a, uh, a hairdresser. <laughs> he has no <laughs> skills. <laughs> but it felt great to have it clean. Yeah. And one day he walked into the bedroom and um, he, uh, he, you know, to carry me out. And I said... I can't sit up today. I, I, I don't have the strength to sit up. Now, I know I look bad every day, but I must have looked particularly bad that day because Joe was like, okay, Dawn, uh, we need to call Dr. So-and-so. And I said, I'm not calling Dr. So-and-so. Yeah. He said, well, Dawn, we need to call Dr. Such-and-such because -such. when you get to this point, you've got a litany of doctors you can yeah. call. Yeah. And I said, I'm not calling Dr. Such-and-such. -such. Honey, I know where I'm going when I die. Just let me go there. And I'm not proud of the fact that I didn't want to live anymore. And I know there are people facing situations right now and they feel like there's no way out. And for me that day, I didn't see anywhere. I didn't, I didn't see any way out. But my husband made the decision that I was going to live. Dennis Waitley says, character is the ability to carry out a worthwhile decision after the emotion of making that decision has passed. Mm. I want to say that again. Character is the ability to carry out a worthwhile decision after the emotion of making that decision has passed. Joe made this decision I was going to die. I, I was going to live. I was going to survive. It was another two years. Some days I could be up, some days I was down. I mean, it was really, uh, it, it, was, it was a terrible thing. And I, I, I didn't, I mean, I, 
I couldn't really be a wife the way I used to be. And I, I, there was just, it was awful. And then I heard about this doctor who did things a little differently. He was a holistic doctor. I didn't know anything about holistic medicine back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, he put me through a, a treatment and I mean, a, an exam. And then he met with Joe and I. And I'll never forget, we're sitting there and he started going through what he thought was wrong with me. And he had an experimental process that was based in regular medicine. He was, he was a holistic doctor, but he, he had a medical degree also. And so he said, you know, we're going to try, you know, there's, there's this treatment we can give her, but I want you to understand that her kidneys could shut down. This could go wrong. That could go wrong. Blah, 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 blah. He said, but I think this is going to help her. And he asked us if we had any questions. And I think for the first time, only time in our lives, Joe and I had nothing to say. I mean, we just were stunned. Mm -hmm. We went back out to the car and Joe didn't start the car up. He just sat there. And he eventually said, Dawn, are you going to do that? And I said, I'm afraid. I don't know. I, I really don't know. And he said, well, Dawn, I'm afraid that if you do that, you're going to die. And I said, yeah, but if I don't do that, I got to live like this and this isn't living. Yeah. And then he said, I'll take the treatment first. And if I survive it, we'll put you through it. That's why Joe is more than a husband to me. He's my very, very best friend. Wow. Joe took that treatment and he got sick. But he made it through. When I took the treatment, I have never had more pain in every cell of my body. I dry heaved every 15 minutes for days and days and days. And I can remember going through this and all I could think of was Joe made it. Joe made it. Joe made it through. Joe made it through this and because he made it, I can do it. Joe made it. Joe made it. And because of that, I made it through the treatment and that's the treatment that changed my life. That was a treatment that made it possible that I could have children at all. That was the treatment that uh, that changed my, that changed everything for me. And what I want people to understand is when, I, when, when the doctor told me I was going to die, Brian, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know who your listeners were. I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't imagine being able to encourage people to be that person that encourages people. And you see, each one of us, we're walking a path. And right now, it might be a tough one. Okay? But we've got to keep going. We've got to keep going. We can make it because we will make it because there are people making it. And we can, we can do what we have to do to make it because there's other people that need our encouragement. They need yeah. to be able to see that... This wall that I'm looking at that looks like I can't cross it, this wall will crumble if I just keep moving, if I just keep putting one foot forward, 
one more step. I'll remember when I was recuperating and the doctor wanted me to start walking and I didn't want to walk because if I walked so far and I, then I, I wouldn't be able to get back to the house. You know, I'd walk 50 yards and it's like, take me back. I, I, yeah. I'm afraid I won't be able to. And Joe would be going, no, Dawn, take one more step. No, Dawn, take another step. Go another step. Take another step. Take another step. Six months later, I was able to walk a mile. Yeah. But we have to keep taking steps. There's somebody out there that needs your encouragement. They might not have yet been born and they need your encouragement. They need the encouragement they're going to gain from you as you make it through this time. You can do it. You can do it. God has put inside of you the ability to keep moving forward. Don't let Satan confuse you with anything else. Don't doubt. Just take a step. Take the step that you can take, the first step. Wow. Nothing more I need to say other than to, to tell folks how they can connect with you. That was so powerful. And, and, and stay with this conversation all the way through, but my goodness, Don, you just dropped some serious intentional encouragement to somebody. Tell folks how they can connect with you. So, so powerful. Thank you for that. Well, uh, you can reach us. The easiest way is to text to the number 55678. And you put in the message sales edge as one word. You might have to put it in quotes. And in there, you will you know, bring up a, uh, a splash page. And on there, you'll be able to get some free downloads. You'll be able to see, you'll be able to reach our membership site if you want to take a look at that. If you want that encouragement, that, that, that training on a monthly basis with Joe, it's a really great thing. We also have courses coming out. I've got an, uh, I normally do one-on-one -on -one coaching in LinkedIn, but uh, lots of folks, they have to cut back on their, you know, their finances. And so we came out with an e-course on LinkedIn. It's called LinkedIn Simplified. It's a way for you to up your game on LinkedIn, whether you're a business or you are job hunting. All right. Uh, we have an affordable course there. And also Joe has a course out there on uh, how to have dynamic uh, virtual sales meetings. You know, a, a virtual sales meeting goes a little bit differently than one that's in person. And getting very uh, good at and concise with your sales meetings online can really increase your closing ratios and really uh, up your bottom line. So uh, all those things are available. Plus, you can get to our podcast. At uh, Our podcast is the Sales Edge Podcast. And go out. We're out there twice a week. And wonderful guests like Brian here. I don't know about that. I mean, it was <laughs> it was all right. But no, I'm I'm on the Peachy and Peachy website. Go to peachyandpeachy.com. That's P-I-C-I-A-N-D-P-I-C-I.com. Peachyandpeachy.com. There is a place for, for you to email Dawn at peachyandpeachy.com. And if you found encouragement, let me let me say this. If Dawn's story encouraged you, would you drop her a note and tell her? How it how it impacted you and encouraged her because let me let me share share this. I was telling Don this before we started recording. A lot of times when you encourage people, you don't hear back from from that. You give a lot more than you receive. But I would please do this for me. If you listen to this podcast, 
and you found something from it and Dawn's story resonated with you or something she said resonated, please let her know that it did that it resonated with you. And that will that that would be the greatest compliment I believe that you could give her is just to reach out and let her know that what she said had an impact and touched you. Don, what you said to me impacted and touched me today. I am grateful from the bottom of my heart, very grateful that you joined us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Brian. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.